Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by Surfing's Evolution and Preservation Foundation. My name is Kevin Miller, and normally with me is John Brooks. He is unavailable, though. We had to get this one out quick. So uh, basically, I am handing the microphone to podcast veteran Richie Fitzgerald. He was on here earlier in our series. I think it was on uh, the t- it was our tenth podcast right before Christmas in 2020. So we're very happy to have him back on to talk about the publishing and uh, the writing process of his book, Cold Water Eden. Um, I don't know. This one's special to me because I feel like I just sat down in a pub and grabbed a pint of Guinness and Richie sitting next to me. Uh, wow, it's a feel-good interview about somebody realizing, uh, you know, and expressing a long-time dream of writing a book. And, uh, man, it's sold really well uh, so far. Uh, I kind of put it on par with Barbarian Days in my, you know, fair uh, opinion. But the uh, the writing is there. It's a great personal story. And, it, you know, it just feels, like I said, like you're sitting at a pub with Richie and, and getting to listen in. So uh, go ahead and uh, pick up that book on Amazon and uh, enjoy the podcast. I'll hand it over to Richie now. we recorded in 2020 and it was released on the 23rd right before christmas yeah so that's uh, i think you were like the 15th or something like that 10th or something and, uh, one is, a lot's changed in three years you know <laughs> well exactly that's kind of my point we're two and a half years later the book that you were sort of alluding to but i don't think it had form in the way it uh that it did even a year later is now live and it's for sale on Amazon. It's called Cold Water Eden. And did you pick the title? Um, yes and no. It was something I said to my editor, um, Catherine Go. We, we were talking about t- titles, and you always have a working title. And you know, I had all sorts of uh, fruitful and fanciful ones, like following seas, which is a nautical term. And you know, I had lots of lots of different stuff going around. Um, and I actually had, I think I had it titled uh, I Don't Come From Seafarers, Music Is In My DNA as just a working title. And that actually became the first chapter. And all my chapters, even the titles I gave them, remained unchanged. But my editor, uh, she knew nothing about surfing, which is is a good is a good thing. Absolutely. She yeah. never surfed in her life or anything, but she just said, Look, explain to me. You know what? What is it? Like, what is it that makes where you grew up, the northwest of Ireland, Donegal? What makes it so special in a surfing context? Because you know you can see everything on land. You can go there and be a tourist and play golf and drink a pint of Guinness or yeah, live there. Yeah, she was you know. thinking about she said, it. She said, "Just what really? What makes it different?" And I said, "Listen, in a surfing context, it's like a cold water Eden." And she she said, "God, that's a that's a good phrase." Which you know, I, I it was actually a journalist. Um, God, he worked for Zigzag Magazine. His name escapes me. Who actually coined that first years ago in the nineties? Um, Craig Jarvis was his name, yeah. and he he uh, he said, "You know, mate, you live in a, in a cold water Eden." And then Kelly Slater said in Wave Riders documentary that. Ireland was a cold, surfing in Ireland was a cold water paradise. So I suppose it was just a play on that. I've always thought it was a good way to to express Ireland. 
but then everyone gets gets lost on the cold water part. <laughs> it's not that cold. I mean, you've been there in summer and it gets beautiful and the water gets really nice and the sun's out. But, you know, it's kind of the overall yeah. thought about Ireland is where you're surfing these monstrous cold waves, which is true in winter. And I suppose it was a, a good title and it's snappy and it kind of uh, it encapsulated really maybe what the book is about in a sense. You know, Dave Blount. That's a long answer for you, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer for the title. And and Dave Blount, one of your very good friends who's featured in the book a little bit, uh, was in Barbados with us when you were there for uh, a wedding, I believe. And uh, it was him. I think he said, you know, you really have to court Ireland a little bit. It's not a place that you just show up and score. And you have to kind of give her her due and uh keep going back when, and find it but for a traveling surfer that that's of course true but you definitely uh did a good job explaining the harsh realities of good waves bad waves bad wetsuits duct tape around your wrist you know that kind of thing where it's okay. like uh what does it take to truly be diseased in this sport which we've all sort of yeah uh right, right, right felt similarly yeah. like we get addicted right so but i'm thinking yeah. like you did that same thing but you did it in a really beautiful spot at times and uh we, well i can understand why that was more attractive than florida surf yeah well i'm actually reading a book at the moment a football book of course soccer book and there's a bit about uh, the ex liverpool player patrick berger who grew up behind the iron curtain before the collapse of communism and you know he grew up in the czech republic in prague and you know it was very oppressive and all that but you know he kind of um he says well i didn't really realize it because at the you know there was no internet and there's no global communication what isn't what it is today but he says what you don't know you don't know and in a way i kind of i know it's a, it's a weird comparison but there's a reflection there and it made me think yesterday about what i had written because what you do but you don't know you don't know so you know bundor and i grew up you know it, it had arcades and it had the, the top video games and it was kind of you know there's ferris wheels around the beach and it was all of that but it just didn't have surfing or the area had surfing in a way but it was very minuscule but in a in a in a small point my time didn't have surfing so what you don't know, you don't know, and you don't know you've got a desperately bad wetsuit for midwinter, and it's a two-piece, right. and that you have to use marigold gloves, kitchen gloves under or over, you know, woolen gloves, and that you you know you got to use swimming hats and excess amounts of Vaseline to keep you <laughs> lubricated and warm. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, you you just you don't know what you don't know, and to us, all you, you do know is that you just got. Really, the way I'm raising my kids, I've got like six or seven, seriously, each, both, you know, one of them's only at 11, the other one's eight, and they got wetsuits and they got boards and, right, you know, like they don't, in comparison to what I had, but right. that's just, just the way you grew up. And, but, you know, to go back to your initial point about Dave Blunt, who, yeah, as you rightly say, is a good mate of mine. I mean, Dave, Dave, Dave's the kind of fellow who, he kind of had a like for like upbringing to myself. There's probably a book in him too, but if he would ever bother, but mm-hmm. you know, Dave, um, Ireland's not a hard place to score, right? There's waves all the time. You know, I've, I've lived in Australia here for the last six or seven, eight years, maybe. And, you know, in comparison, you know, it, it really makes me appreciate how consistent Ireland is, but we do yeah. get that inclement weather where it just gets quite hardcore. And, the thing about Ireland is I think the thing that separates it a little bit is just the culture and the people that surround surfing. And you get way more appreciated 
in Ireland. Like if you come in and you're the, the ripper of, you know, the best surfer in your area and you come from California and you're ripping and, you know, you're unbelievably good. I mean, it, it only gets you so far, you know, in Ireland. You know, yeah. if you're just a good fella or a good girl and you buy a pint in the bar and you get down and you chat to the local surfers and the, get into the local community and play a game of indoor football or whatever it is, you're, you just get appreciated a lot more and you will integrate a lot more into community. I mean, probably the whole thing of amazing surfers coming overseas is less and less and less. We get more and more and more, but the standard in Ireland is such that it's came up. And just before the podcast kicked off there, Kevin, I was saying like, you know, one of our, one of our surfers just beat Philippe Toledo in a heat, a, a guy from Strand Hill in Sligo called uh, Garage McDade. So, you know, in my time, that would have been almost unthinkable. Right. Um, but now it's, um, it's not becoming regular, but Irish surfers are, are of such a standard now that they're, they're they're challenging anyone in any surf, you know. So it's it, 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 the, the kind of play, the playing field has changed. But yeah, Ireland's it, it's a straight. It's you know, especially for Americans and especially for you know the American diaspora. I mean, Ireland's always going to be a a place that you know tur tourists come from America because there's you know over fifty million people that claim Irish American heritage. So it's always going to have a, a a place in you know American right. heart, Irish American hearts, but. Within that, a lot of Irish Americans have grown up on the, the Jersey Shore or the Florida Shore or New York and Rockaway and California. Yeah. You, you know, you only have to look at the names of America's famous yeah, surfers so like Tommy Perrin and that. And, you know, so they're all going to be coming back to Ireland and, you know, they might play around the golf, but they're certainly now going to be, you know, going to the Hainshire Bundoran and having a surf. So it's got another another kind of um, a di dynamic attached to especially the Irish Americans coming over and a lot of them come in summer and they're going to be surfing probably the mellower beach breaks and the nicer weather as you've experienced but you know you can also come and, and surf yeah. the, the crazy stuff in winter if you want so there's a lot to be explored there but you're absolutely true you do the more time you put into Ireland and the more you make yourself familiar with the locals not not necessarily in the water but on land the better you will get on I had just finished telling Dave about a magical uh, little session at the at the peak in in town there in Bandoran, and that's when he told me you know sometimes you just because I told I had told him I'd been a couple times already but I had experienced nothing quite like that evening and you weren't even back yet you were down filming wave riders with the Malloys yeah. and uh, uh, Briny just dropped me off at the peak and just said uh, it's, you know it looks pretty it was a couple feet overhead it was the greenest clearest beautiful night with sunset and uh that's exactly what i was saying to him i go i i hadn't seen anything like it you don't see that in indonesia even uh the way the what the, the color of the water and everything so beautiful spot that you grew up in and the book i feel really captures uh what it was like to be um an addicted person who which is universal to the sport, no matter where you grow up, it's like the guy was addicted to soccer in Prague or wherever he grew up. And, yeah. you know, you get the, uh, the feeling that yours was an exceptional upbringing because of the colliding of whatever, uh, uh, people that arrived there and your inclination to, uh, help people when they were in town, which really is at the crux of the book and how you meet so many wonderful people is you, you know, you just took what characteristic that the country has and uh, extrapolated it even further. You're a very smart guy. You're personable. You're funny. 
And then all of this comes together in written form of the book. Now I'm curious, are you going to do an audio version? Have you already re read it uh, for an audio version? Uh, it's funny. It, it's a good, this good question, Kevin. Actually, I struggled with the audiobook. I did a few days and I just, at, at the time, there was a lot of personal stuff going on in the background for me with my mom being ill and whatever. And I just, I actually pulled out of the audiobook about three days into it. But um, since then, there is an audiobook out. It, it was um, read by uh, uh, an actor up, up our way or up in Donegal. So he sounds quite similar to me probably a lot more eloquent uh i it's something i would like to go back and do the audiobook myself but yeah. you know i had to put my hand up at that certain time that i couldn't do the audiobook but you know um there is an audiobook out but it's not me narrating it but what you said about being and i know you asked it in my first question in the first question the addictiveness of surfing and it is true and it just depends on you know uh like you look at Florida there, the, you know, the central coast of Florida, you know, it's produced some amazing surfers. Most recently, I suppose you have Kelly Slater, but you know, you, you, you know, you so many good surfers coming out of that area, but yeah. you, you look at, you look at central Florida, it's not on the map really for amazing surf, the surf or the space coast, but you know, it produced a surfer as phenomenal as Kelly Slater. So there had to be an addiction in him somewhere to go down and surf, you know, half a foot, one foot onshore, sloppy waves in between good swells, waiting for hurricane swells. So, you know, it, it is whether you live in Ireland or you live in, you know, Florida or you live in the Great Lakes or you live in Australia, there has to be an addiction at a certain time to to, to get in. Because surfing is hard, man. It's a hard sport. That's you what know, I thought the book captured as well, too. It's so yeah. hard. It's, so, it's such a hard sport to get into. You know, you need to surf for a good 10 years before you are, you know, capable in, in a wide range. And if you want to be specific, to go in, like surfing is hard. Like you, I mean, I've played all different sports. We were laughing before we came on air about golf. I'm, I don't really golf, but pretty much every other sport I've tried. Golf can be frustrating. I know you need to spend thousands of hours, but there's nothing like surfing because the dynamic of it is so changing. Yeah, so right. It's a hard sport and that ha that has to surfing is hard 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 to get to a good level you can stand up on a foamy and cruise so you have to have that addictive personality and yeah there, there was an alignment in a way of maybe time ireland where country was politically economically there was a bit of forward thinking probably the family i grew up in we were we were normal but we were definitely not normal in another way we were a very open vivacious family and my position to the sea was just completely by fluke where my parents, neither of them for, were from Donegal, decided to set up camp right in front or their, their house right in front of the peak, which is one of the best waves on the planet. And, right. you know, there, there's a lot of accumulation there of different things that come together that you don't fully appreciate when you're young. But I do when I'm older now on reflection and yeah, I'm a different person now, but there's there's moments of the same person in there. You know, I'm kind of a dad now so your 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 focus changes but you're a hundred percent right you know I I was I was the excited grommet that just you know if someone told me they were from you know Southern California or Australia or South Africa New Zealand yeah. you know I'd nearly fell over myself to get to know them and you know a lot of it was to do with wanting that connection uh, and you know it took me a while to realize they were coming to my town because yeah. the surf was so bloody good but there was there was a learning factor as well.
Sure. You know, well, you, that's... You die, like, but there's a learning factor. And I, I always would say my surfing, I mean, I've surfed you a lot, Kevin, and, you know, I'm, I'm no CT top pro surfer. I had my moments of, of being really good and I focused on, on big waves, but I did the best with what I got. But I always would look at my surfing like maybe my life as a scrapbook. And I just took little bits from people and glued them inside my scrapbook and then kind of manipulated them as my own. So if I saw someone yeah. who you know was a very eloquent speaker or could conduct themselves correctly or could was a fantastic backside tube rider or had a beautiful off the top or a really good shot with the right foot in football, I would just look and I would kind of go, oh, mm. I want to borrow that. I want to, I want, so I, I kind of constructed, I constructed it for myself as much as uh, it was there. But I definitely, if I didn't have that personality, I w- it would have flown over my head. I wouldn't even notice it, but it was something about it. And I think, you know, you're, you're a C person as well, Kevin, you get, you get the C in your veins and I know it's an old trope and it's, you know, vitamin C and getting, you know, salt water in your veins. But there's a lot of truth to that. And I know mm-hmm. it gets overused, but it gets into you and you'll do other stuff and you'll play golf. And you know, my kids are good footballers now and we do lots of different stuff, but our kind of our our base and our reset is always the C, even yeah, even now. You know, you, you get into I the C and I get out yeah, there. We, yeah, we had some good waves now. I'm living here in in this in the south of Australia and we've had a, a phenomenal run of swell around Bells Beach. It's been as about as good as I've ever seen it. Yeah. Um, so yesterday I went out and I went over the falls a couple of times, got smashed a few times. Yeah. And got washed around and got into the spin cycle. But eventually you have your half wave or one turn or a bottom turn or a takeoff or yep. a setup and you go. You know, it was only a moment for me in past life. You know, you'd get hundreds of them in one surf. But now I'm kind of happy if I get one or two in one surf. Yeah. And you go, oh, there's the reset button. It was for good. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm easily uh, yeah. satiated these days with the kids watching them get a good wave on a longboard or um, yeah. or just, I don't, you know, Ellie rides on my back and uh, we, we stomach in. And it's just so much joy involved in the momentum and all that crap. But yeah, anyway, it's it's an addictive sport. It brings a lot of good health. One of the best parts, I'm a, I'm addicted to narrative too. Good uh, storytelling and and that natural talent definitely came out with your uh, with your book and with Coldwater Eden. I feel like there was also a bonus for those surfers who do know the sport pretty well. So that you know, mm. there's people that have never surfed before that would really enjoy your book. Um, it's very much in the vein of barbarian days, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. it is, it's accessible to anybody, but it also, there's, there's little, uh, Easter eggs in there for all of us who find the, you know, the joy of hearing about the Malloy's coming through town or Tom Curran. And we talked about it on the podcast actually last time about everybody, not everybody, but but then there's also this great national pride too that you uh, took from uh, being an Irish-born, you know, uh, surfer and surfing for your country. I'm covering a lot of ground here, but I, I just yeah, wanted I want you to know, and the and the listeners who have an interest in reading or listening to the book, that it's really uh, all in there. It's it, it covers things for surfers, but it also it didn't feel like you were like the book was just restricted for, you know, average Joe's and the, yeah, the yeah. Want to come at, in and read it. Yeah. Look at, at times, Kevin, you know, I 
during interviews and speaking to you, I do struggle to kind of take ownership and praise myself about the book and how good it's been received. It's not a very Irish thing to do. I, yeah, I, def- I know that. I, yeah. I deflect, I deflect questions already. I, you know, we'll talk about everything else, but book. So I promise you in answering now, I'm going to be very book book centric, but look at, I, I wrote it um, for the general public, the way I would, yeah. you know, when I pick up a book about a subject, I'm not so sure about, and I read it and it's written generally, but in generalization, you need to be specific too. So it's not full of surfing logo, you know, jargon. So I, I kept it as light on surfing jargon as I can, because, you know, you, you're writing into a much too specific audience. So, you know, th- there's a lot of surf stories in it, but it's written uh, very, um, very applicable to anybody could pick up the book. And, you know, you, when you write a narrative book like that, it, you, you know, I tried several different ideas about writing it but you know making myself the central protagonist in it was the best way and I suppose it's just the world seen through my eyes observations and you know obviously surfing in itself is a dynamic sport and you know it was rare in Ireland at that time and you know Irish surfers were even more rare we were exotic species overseas you never met Irish surfers now you see them all over the place so you know I touch on that I touch on my personal circumstances family what it was like growing up in Ireland on in the border counties during the troubles which was probably on CNN every night and that's about all you got maybe you know, you two and and the the conflict in Northern Ireland on CNN. That was probably all that was coming out of Ireland at the time. Exactly. So you know, we you know when you grow, you live in it, it's different. So we could see a different Ireland, and Ireland was emerging. You know, we were kind of coming out of out of our own shadow in a way, and and it was that old conservative Ireland was was breaking down. That church and state uh, connection was breaking down, and had been for probably a decade or so before. I was born, so there was a lot of um, social and political stuff. Yeah, right on. near the border you were. Yeah, so I touch on a lot of that, which is relevant to, you know, a lot of people who, especially in America, are of that audience, uh, you know, they're surfing, there is a lot of culturally Irish stuff in it. And then obviously when I went overseas with surfing and big waves and representing my country and you know, it's the whole relationship with the Irish flag, the tricolor, which had been used for kind of militant republicanism in Ireland. And that's either, you know, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. So it depends on which side of the line you stand on. But, you know, that there was leads an to my, there was that, an sorry, I just want to say that leads to my next question. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. And yeah. I, I feel like you can finish your thought, but don't let oh, me forget fair. to ask you about your Star Wars addiction following that yeah, I will, terrorist I will. rebel uh, rebellion <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. Rebellion. So, like, there was an there's there was an uneasiness um with with kind of being overly nationalistic in Ireland in a way because it was just the way it was portrayed in the media and you know there was a lot of different it was a confluence of stuff. Our football team did really good, which is makes a huge difference in Europe. You know, we had yeah bands like U two that were suddenly you know out on you know in Ireland and and kind of or out of Ireland given it. A, you know a very different view of the country so there was a lot of there was a confluence of a lot of different things going on in Ireland so you know when I got out into the, the broader world and you know you had a certain responsibility on your back when you're representing your country there was very few people surfing at an international level coming out of Ireland at that time so we, you all, we also were looked on as unique but we I suppose we had a unique view coming into the broader world and 
you know, the broader surfing world. Uh, and I suppose I encapsulate a lot of that in book, just the storytelling yeah. of it. It's it's a story. It's a story. And I hope the humor is caught in it. And, you know, yeah, I've had reti retired teachers of mine have never touched the sea. You know, I had an old lady from New York contact me who I've never met. And she just said, I picked your book up in some place in New York. And she said, I really loved it. And she she got me on social media and she said, you know, Amazing. she was of Irish heritage. And then I've got surfers reading it and, you know, times people. And it's it's a very broad spectrum. I can just tell you about the feedback I get. There's no, I couldn't tell you that it's coming from a very specific country or age group. You know, there's middle-aged women, old women, young fellas, you know, surfers up and, you know. It must be nice to hear. Yeah, it's good. I, I kind of like the, the broadness of the audience, but you know, it, it's 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 really it was down to my wife Rainy. It's thanks to her really that I wrote the book because she just said, "Rich, there's a book in you. You love telling stories. You've led this That's amazing it. life, and you have you you know without being you know you're not up your own ass as we say in Ireland." And she says, "Just put it down in words. People love your stories. They love hearing it. Why? I why know don't you, she's why, right. Why don't you? Why don't you just?" She said, just write a book of stories and then just see where it goes. Just put put your stories down. You know, you always tell this story, that story, you know, by going to a world championships or the, the first time you got wiped out or, you know, it wasn't all surf specific stuff or growing up in, you know, how crazy our town was growing up with the nightlife and stuff like that. And uh, she just put it down. So that's really how I started. I Good. just put down, I just wrote stories and then they all, you know, glued together eventually. And I, I kind of spent been about a year yeah writing it properly so Listen, yeah they, i know I, answer for you i know you well enough to know that you have an attention span deficit of about eight seconds before you're on to a new topic and i know that Bryony is your healthy opposite in that department and yeah. she's she can actually concentrate on a task for longer than yeah. 14 yeah seconds. true yeah so, so she did she she fully made me uh made me um kind of screw it down i suppose i don't know how you did it without the help of some kind of uh drug uh and I, i'm joking <laughs> of course but i'm guessing you had coffee in you and, and you actually are a disciplined person when you do focus. You, know, you know the drug of choice it was bloody covid kept me locked down and uh, i wrote yeah, it over right. covid and, and here in australia in, in victoria it was extremely harsh very different than what it was like in europe or america yeah. It was much more um it was much more severe and lockdowns were much more severe. So I didn't have a lot of options and the children were off school and we would, we'd go down and surf, we'd play football and we'd do all of that, but I had vast swathes of time to to of inflection and I just thought, hey, I gotta put this to to good use. So and did you do it in the morning or in the afternoon or at night? Did you I I generally go out for a run in the morning. Uh, okay. I, I most of my best thought processes come out when I'm running and I would just see connections, you know, and how I could link the story up and, and what made sense within the, the broader narrative of the story, you know, my own story, the kind of story of Irish surfing that has, you know, what was going on overseas and kind of the, what was going on socially and politically in Ireland and at home. So I kind of had four trains of thought when I was writing the book and, but you, you must connect those up. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of close the circle at the end of the book. So, I, I kind of kept the, the narrative driven on those four different things. So I would, every day I would just go out for a run and I think, you know, you're obviously writing about yourself. So it's, it's stuff that you've experienced, but you would just drive the story along those lines. Because as I said to you, before yeah. we start recording here, I could have went off on a million different tangents, my eight second attention. Well, you, you had 900 pages, right? 
Yeah, 900 pages. So it was three times written in the same the same way. So I didn't have to uh, I didn't have to do any rewrites on the book, which I think it, I'm probably most proud about. It was edited yeah. down. I linked it up with a couple of lines here and there, and that was about it. It was uh, there was no extra. There was no rewrites, which was phenomenal, you know. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Did you read or sorry, did you run with headphones or music or anything? Or did you try to? Oh, I, I write with music. I write with 80s music blaring. Very nice. <laughs> and, uh, but I really, I like, I just like the wind in my ears. I sound like a hippie now, but I like the sound of the sea and the wind in the ears when I'm running. <laughs> Um, and I get the most unbelievable stuff pops into my head when I run. So I run about for about an hour every day, okay. uh, keeps the devil from the door and keeps my yeah. waistline in some kind of relative control. Oh, um, I wasn't so, it wasn't so narrow in Florida, the golden crown. No, yeah. yeah. So down. I wrote my book in, in honesty. I wrote my book, Kevin, uh, pounding the pavement running. That's, I, and I've got a sense. weird brain. I can retain a lot of information. I have a really, really very very good memory i can remember stuff from a conversation from 30 years ago what the person was wearing what color their shoes were where we yeah. were standing what it smelled like so Chris. you know photographs and stuff are evocative for me as well but i can re my recall is very good so i would run and i would write a whole chapter in my head and have it written and have it constructed line for line how Brilliant. it looked kind of photographically and then i would just come home and i would just download it on like i just write Perfect. and write and write an hour or two I and make it. some and that's that's the way it goes i couldn't that's the way my writing is i it's it's all or nothing really that's great any uh any uh late night writing or anything it sounds like uh, that's a great process yeah but... yeah i couldn't sleep a lot of nights you know if i get an idea that's it so i'd either stay up you know after everyone gone to bed and maybe get to bed three four in the morning or stay up all night or i would yeah. just wake up at, at 3 a.m and that's it i'm up and i'd write till 8 a.m and then that that would be it for the day you know some yeah. days I work 20 hours a day Um, I like writing, but I have to be excited about the subject. I'm right. It's, it, it's kind yes. of, it's very, um, absolutely. Very, it's very visual for me. It, it's an internal visualization. I need to see it to write about it. Mm -hmm. Whether I, you know, I need to see 
the conversation that you and I are having. If I was writing about this, I would look and see you in your office talking to me rather than hear your voice or remember. I would do that as well. So for me, it's always been very visual. I, um, I get a really good recount from anything visual. So good. that's that's how I wrote. But um, yeah, look, it, it was just, it was all, and I, I just, I decided to write it very truthfully as well, Kevin. I mean, you can, you can make, as the protagonist, you can make yourself out to be, you know, a Jackie, or you can make yourself out to be a hero, or, you know, you can write it a million different ways, but everyone's fallible. I, thought and that. I, just, I just wrote it very truthfully. I didn't, I um, yeah, I just wrote it the way it felt, the way, at my age now, you know, you've nothing to prove, you're kind of thinking, that's right. And all that, just, I'll just write it truthfully. It was you know, even if some of it's quite some of it's quite sore to write, you're still gonna write it truthfully. And uh, I think that I think that comes out in the book. Yeah, it does. What's with your uh Star Wars bullshit collection? I mean, you got yeah. like you got you've had I, that since a kid, huh? Yeah, it's or was uh, it it's, was it I have to imagine it was an escape for you, right? Just like everybody, yeah, but you took it to another it's level. A, you know, you're you're a similar vintage to I, Kevin. Um yeah. it's a strange one. I mean, you, you know, with us in, in Ireland, we had two or three TV channels, we the BBC and then right. two or three Australian Irish channels. And, you know, it was before cable TV, the 1970s. And, you know, just when Star Wars came out, it had this lived in universe feel. You know, I always liked the sci-fi. There was Buck Rogers before and Battle, well, not Battlestar Galactica, you know, you had, yep. you know, um, Doctor Who. And it would all look very plasticky and very fake. And then all of a sudden, here comes Star Wars. It's the classic you know, it's the classic fairy tale of the princess, the scoundrel, the the young knight, the big baddie, and it just it's it it was the classic fairy tale themes and set in a universe that really appealed to me. So I I was hooked on it like every other kid in the seventies, and then my God, you know, no the kidding. merchandise and the little figures and the toys come out, and they were really exciting and very different to what had gone before. And it, it's you know for me and you know I bought them, collected them, and kept them. And then kind of as the 90s came in, they kind of sat for a few years. And, you know, as the 90s came in, there was that that kind of uh, interest again in Star Wars by the mid 90s. And then it, it yeah. kind of had changed from toys to nostalgia. And there's its memories tied up for me. And I do love the characters and all that. So I just kept collecting and but I everyone, I, everyone I collects something, you know, everyone yeah. collects some guys have golf clubs, some guys have, you know, Budweiser bottles, you know, whatever it right. is. Uh, it's just it's collecting and it's nostalgia and it's memories for me. Well, you never opened any of them as a kid, so you you had the foresight. Maybe I don't think you were thinking about it this way when you were a kid. Um, oh no, I did open. I did open and played with ones, but I always I would always buy extra ones to have them in boxes. <laughs> well, there you go. That is foresight, and to know that yeah. like a I don't know if you were thinking if the if I lose this one or his arm falls off or something, at least I'll have another one to play with. Or were you thinking? I want one to play with and I want one for this collection that I feel like yeah, I'm gonna... it, it, it was probably a simpler thing than that. I always had I had quite strong OCD when I was younger about everything being neat, clean and tidy. Yeah, I remember so I that chapter. Liked, actually. I liked stuff as it was, you know, like you, you would buy something and it's in its package and it's perfect and that's the way it should be. So I would, when I could, I would always have something that was, you know, just, just so just the way it should be yeah and and that that it was probably more to have the kind of perfect version of what i liked and then i had the, the version that i played with and blew up with bangers in the back garden and all the rest of it so 
you know, it just kind of went from there. It it is like my Star Wars collection is huge, and it's you know there's a there's a considerable value to it. But like it's I don't know. I need I need an extra house or a small museum to display it. So well, it'll probably when I'm dead and gone, it'll go to my kids, and they'll probably just sell it and make a fortune from it. So <laughs> I'm not really sure uh, where the sensible side and what what it's um what I'm really doing with it. I need to I need to really I some someday I'll have a big enough like I need a massive like a, a, a kind of ballroom sized you know something that something yes you do pretty I... big like it's not it wouldn't fit in the bedroom. You actually couldn't even fit everything boxed in a, in a big size bedroom. So to, to display it all, you would need like, a, it needs to be kind of shop sized. You it's know? about uh, the size of the Louvre, let's be honest. And you would have, yeah, uh, yeah. your brother Joe would have one floor yeah. with soldiers and you would have the uh, the other for the- yeah. it, it, Look, it runs in our it runs in our family. My brother's all yeah. into debts and military stuff and building, you know, a, you know he's, he's got hundreds of thousands of little tiny soldiers and, it's fantastic, and I go down and we play with those as well. But like my dad, it. my dad was into collecting stamps, and you know we were we we're a family of collect- not like not hoarders. You wouldn't, you know, our no. my house is clean and neat and and all of that, and it's deep, not cluttered. So it's um, oh, it's it's tied up in nostalgia for me, mate. Sure, that's really what it is. It's just there it's, you go. It's it's a connection to my past, and I suppose I I that part of me I, I I'll never be able to let go. Oh man, you know, my son Jude, he's eight and he is for sure. I mean, into the Star Wars, like he watches all the cartoon um, or, you know, the animated versions and things like that. Like, but he's, he's into it. And I can see that same enthusiasm that I had when I was, you know, seven years old and saw the movie um, for the first time. So I don't know. It's just refreshing to think about and what I, what yeah, the things are do, that makes you feel youthful. Yeah. You know, and I do think with Star Wars, you know, it's it's it, it's different now. But you know, I I was interested in reading a lot of books and you know Irish mythology and you know there was Greek mythology and yeah. at the time TV was so I read a lot of books and I read you know all of Tolkien's stuff and you know anything I could get my hands on. So Star Wars was kind of a, a it was the first kind of visual manifestation of the classic fairy tale but really done for for kids you know and and you know you could kind of see there was dirt on the engine and you know the, the clothes looked like they'd been worn and there was it, it was tangible and i suppose that was the attraction and just with those classic tales and i think especially for our generation kevin and you know right down to your kids and my kids you know if you if you've got imagination and you read especially or you know when, when i was into reading it it, it kind of was the, the the come to life version of all those things that I kind of be reading about and fantasizing and dreaming about. So, you know, it, it definitely has a relevance to modern kids as well. I could tell you read a lot. Um, I'll just bring this to a close, but, um, and mention that uh, I feel like I'm in good hands in, in the text that you've written for us uh, for entertainment, for nostalgia, as it relates to surfing, I feel all of the, all of that. And, but at, at, at the heart of it too, I feel a great story about, um you your family your surfing uh life uh you know obviously the the difficulties with losing a sibling and and francis was such an inspiration to you i could tell just by talking to your sisters and you know when i was out there and uh how big of a deal that was to you guys and you know powering through that and and getting uh angry you know at, at the world too and and 
you you know sort of taking it out in the ocean and and going for it at Mulligmore with reckless abandon I could see the ferocity you know with you guys down at the uh at the put in there where the where they launched the boats and you know the but also the joy and it, it was just an amalgamation of being sort of a sidelong American uh getting the opportunity to see you in your heyday there with the boys was an yeah, absolute you, thrill man and i and i feel yeah, like you, you, you accomplished it in the book so yeah, you you saw it in in at er, early enough stage like that's a long time ago kevin i mean that's yeah. that has to be 10 15 maybe 15 years ago when you you saw it. so you you actually saw it before i mean now there's there's everyone and anyone down there and it's relevant i'm not i'm not poo-pooing what's going on there now i love it as well but actually you you got a front row seat of a pretty good day um you know when it was you know we'd been at it for years but it's still it hadn't the global oh boy as high, so, so you saw but yeah you're right i mean you, you you know any 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 kind of creative piece you put out there or artistic piece and i suppose writing is an art form in a way sounding very up myself now but you know you put stuff out there and you expose yourself and that's the only way and you know writing about my sister and her passing away at a critical time in our lives and, you know, horribly from cancer. And she was very, um, and she was very influential on me and the rest of her family. You know, everyone's got their cross to bear. Everyone has something in their family. That was just, a lot of people had a lot worse than us uh, or better or whatever. That was just our one. And I I just didn't have the mechanism. I, I wasn't mature enough to deal with it too well. Um, I still don't think I do. You know, you can't be master of, of everything. And uh, I suppose I, I kind of um, hid myself. Mm -hmm. Hid myself in a way in the sea or I find a bit of relief there because, you know, I wasn't one, you know, anger is easier to accept than sorrow or loss. So the anger part, but I was never one to go out and, you know, punch someone up in a pub or go and smash your bedroom to pieces or whatever it is, or drive your car into a wall. For me, it was, I was actually always quite quiet on land in that respect, but, you yeah. know, I kind of took it out on myself in the sea a little bit. And I suppose there's a, re a relief in that, but, you know, every, 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 every family's got uh, across the bear and that one, that one was ours and it was tied up with surfing and me and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, I hope that comes across in the book as well. It did. And I'll just say, I, I saw you get one of the biggest barrels I've ever seen anybody in person. Uh, you know get. And uh, <laughs> dude, it was, I, I have it on video. I actually, uh, it's somewhere, but anyway, the, uh, you could, you couldn't really see you come out because of the color of your, I think it was your red wetsuit maybe at the time, but it was like really difficult to see you coming out, but like I'm filming it in my fucking jaws in my lap i thought you know your toast like i saw yeah. neil, neil Britton right? just get exploded on the next wave too at the at the base of the wave you know it was just an incredible day and uh yes no i have never seen anybody get I, a barrel bigger than that in person i remember that wave right and 15 years later or whatever like if i got that wave in mullockmore now which i'm not surfing mullockmore you know it'd be shot from the side you know there'd be drones yeah. in the air guys would have it from from the from the beach, I think you were on the camcorder at the time or whatever. Yeah. But um, I remember that wave, and I remember Al Meany. I think it was Al and Cotty, uh, Andrew Cotton, who obviously is is a huge surfer now down in Nazare. And yeah, the they were in the water. Wave. Yeah, they were in the water, and I remember after that, 
um, Al came up to me in the jet ski and he said, mate, that was one of the most technically crazy tube rides he'd ever what? seen. Because the thing that we, I remember being, and it's, it's again, it's an obvious one, but it, you know, it was, it was a huge wave with the 30 foot, maybe bigger face. And it just went completely square, but I was on the, the foam ball slipping and sliding and, you yeah. know, being pushed back forward and sucked back in. I was in the tube for a good bit. And I, I have seen that footage you have of that wave and the exploding wave in front of it kind of hides half of the wave that I was on. Yes. So that gives you, so yeah, I, you know what, man, you can be my cheerleader for that wave because nobody saw it. One <laughs> or two guys can see you were up on the bluff and you're the only one that saw. And I remember that wave. I, I've got a really good visual memory of that from the inside. I was quite deep in that barrel and I got pushed out and pulled in and pushed out and pulled oh, in. And, and I always, well, you know, for Alan Cotty to come up and say that was one of the, he said if you didn't make that you were dead <laughs> yeah i totally agree man and i i do believe it's out there if, if somebody googles it's on youtube if you google irish surf and kevin miller uh, you might find it and uh it was set to some 80s music and the boys all the boys are out there neil Britton gets exploded on one and so anyway look for it um but you won't be able to see a lot of it because i mean like you said even though i was on the bluff the wave in front of it sort of kind of hid and all the all the mist kind of hid you from but you can't yeah. see where you came out and i just kind of remember going back to your house and looking at the footage going is that is that really you coming out of that barrel and we both took a double look you had known you got that wave i think yeah. maybe alan Cotty knew you got that wave but that was about yeah. you know like you said that was about it it's hard there's to three, see. There's probably there's, there's three or four people in the world that saw that. You know, now it would be on YouTube. Which, look, I am not sour grapes or anything, but it's no, just but it's funny how funny how exactly. it's evolved. Like now it would be on, you know, it'd be on a Red Bull short, and it would be on YouTube, and Surfline would pick it up, and everyone, else, and it would be, uh, you know, this this incredible, and the water footage would be compared, and yeah. you know, but it, it's kind of. But there's a part of me that loves that. I was there for that type of surfing at Mullet yeah. with Gabe and with Neil and with Cotty and with, you know, uh, all I the mean, rest of the boys on me. You had so, had the wave riders. You, Kevin, I've known you a long time and, you know, anyway, you are going to be my cheerleader. If I ever need to for sure. that wave, I'm going to say, speak to Kevin Miller. He saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I did, man. I saw, that's how we should end it. I, I saw 2008 October. It was amazing. So uh, cheers, man, for the interview. The book was phenomenal. I really enjoyed reading your work and uh, it didn't seem like work. It seems like, it, you know, you, you made it look easy and the reading is wonderful. Uh, just go out and buy a cold water Eden Richie Fitzgerald. I'll be promoting this on Instagram a bit. It's in the Surfer's Journal, this issue. So uh, you'll be, I think it's, if it's not in your mailbox now, it will be in the next few days. Um, there's a little review in the back. Uh, and uh, yeah, just had a, a really good time reconnecting with you. And, you know, obviously the podcast that we uh, recorded, uh, I don't know exactly what episode it is. It's somewhere like in 12, maybe, but it was our, our last one of 2020. And uh, if you want to listen to Richie discuss uh, a little bit more about his life and surfing, go ahead and go after that one. Um, but yeah, I'll publish this separately. And uh but thanks, man, for coming back on. This has been thanks, a joy. Kevin, always a pleasure. Hope to yeah. see you in real life sometime. Hey, when are you coming <laughs> to Disney and hanging out with my kids and stuff? Oh, uh, pretty soon, mate. I just, I am dying to get to Disney. I am dying to get to Florida. Okay, good. Well, that's so good. It's to definitely know. within the next year or two. 
I can't remember. Go, can't... go to the cheese, cheesecake factory and have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember my uh, when we visited you in Ireland, my Cameron, Ben, and Jack were at the dinner table in the back of your house on the deck, and you were not forcing beer down their throat, but they were definitely not of drinking age. And you were <laughs> making sure that they all like tasted the Guinness and all that. And uh, yeah. and I just, I've never seen my daughter, Cameron, laugh so hard in her life. There were tears literally popping out of her eyes. It was one of the funniest good. dinners ever. Yeah, I'm down, I'll come back and do it in America very soon. Very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time Thanks. today. Tell the white Well, thank you very much for joining us for Richie's uh, follow-up interview now that he's finished the book, Cold Water Eden. Pick it up on Amazon. I'll thank our sponsors real quick. Surfing's Evolution and Preservation Foundation, Globe Footwear, Rourke uh, Apparel, uh, Monster Energy, uh, Josh the Lawyer Dude here you know, at Vasileros, Wagner in, in town, Sunbum, and uh, Yeti, uh, many more. Thank you for the support. It doesn't happen without you. All right, I'll give you John Brooks' sign-off, and uh, yeah, we'll see him on the next one. Yeah.